Our Bible reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 3 and verses 1 to 10. So Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognised him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Well, I just wanted to uh, start this morning uh, with a quick recap of this series that we're in so far in Acts. We've called it Mission Plus Family Activated. And the first week we were talking about new beginnings. Uh, then we had new family. Uh, it was last week. And today we're talking about new boldness. And so we're in Acts chapters 3 and 4 today. So if you've got your Bibles, then keep them there because we'll be in there most of the day. And in Acts chapter 3, as we've just heard, Peter's at the temple on his way to see a lame man. And so this lame man had been there for some 40 plus years or so and he had been begging at the gates. Peter walks past, as he'd probably done many, many times before, and sees this man, asks the man to look at him and then says, I don't have money to give you. I don't have gold and silver, but what I do have, I want to give to you freely. And so he says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Now, I'm not sure about you, but have you ever had real profound words said to you like, get up and walk? But he did. And he got up and he walked and he praised and leaped and and celebrated God's goodness. And so then we find that they're then in the temple and all these people gather around him because they recognise this guy who had been like a stalwart of their community in a different way to what other people might expect though, but it was a very recognisable person. Here he is, after 40 years, able to walk. He is completely healed. And of course, this brings commotion in the temple grounds. And so Peter, seeing this, he gets up and he preaches his second Christian sermon. And this is another Christian sermon that is very similar to the one that we had last week. God meets us where we're at. He tells us the truth about ourselves and then extends an offer for us to respond to the gospel, to repent of our sins and to be set free. And we're given the opportunity to respond with a soft heart and enter into his family. And so then in chapter 4 verses 1 the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead 
They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. And so again, we see this great response to the gospel. And we see that the number of believers, it says there, was 5,000 men. That's just the blokes. That doesn't count the women, that doesn't count the children, that doesn't count the widows. And so a conservative estimate puts the number you know, at about 10,000. But what's really likely is that the number was probably more about fifteen or 18,000 people had come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ and were part of this family just in Jerusalem. They were the believers. But in this passage is also a warning. Wherever the gospel is faithfully preached, we need to be on our guard. See, wherever the gospel is preached, there will be those who respond in faith, those who hear and praise God. Amen. That's great, isn't it? But there will also be those who will be offended and will seek to marginalize, persecute or destroy those who maintain a gospel ideology. See, this was true for Peter. And it's true today. It was true, it has been true, and it will always continue to be true. It would be like me preaching here today, being tackled to the ground and being taken away in cuffs. See, wherever the gospel is preached, there will be people who are offended by it and will seek to destroy those who preach and respond to the gospel. Remember last week, God meets us where we are. He tells us the truth about ourselves. God offers us pardon and the gospel sets us free, and God welcomes us into his family. See, not all people will respond to this positively. So remember, Peter was in cuffs. People will be offended, and they will be offended by God's righteous judgment and completely miss his offer of grace, completely miss the gospel. We're broken and damaged. Acts 4 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. I mean, If you want to talk about an insolent opponent, we've just read them. They were saying, we can't deny that this lame man who's been begging at the gates for over 40 years, we can't deny that it happened, but we don't want them to do it anymore. Can you imagine just the insolence of that? There would have been heaps of people who could have really done with healing and whose life could have been transformed and set free, and these people said, we don't want any more of that because they're doing it in Jesus' name. No, 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 no. Let's not help people. Let's, let's oppose them. It just doesn't make sense. And it's a common human response. We don't want to believe because that's to admit that we aren't our own God. That is to admit that we don't have it all together. And so our fundamental posture seems to be, let me find reasons not to believe because I want to do what I want to do because I like it. I like being Lord of my own life and if if we want to try find reasons not to believe, we will find them. The evidence was right in front of them but yet it never even enters their mind that maybe this 
is the real deal. No, the approach was how do we crush this, how do we marginalise this, silence this, get rid of this. And this is the posture of the heart of not only the Sadducees and the priests that we've read here, but if we're paying attention to the ministry of Jesus and the games that they would try and play with Jesus, you'd see it there too. He'd answer their questions and it never even occurred to them that he might actually be right. They just tried to figure out how not to be bested by him and to think of how to come up with that next gotcha question hey jesus taxes what about taxes have you got a coin whose face is on the coin give to caesar's what is caesar's give to god what is god's did it not occur to them that when you're the all-knowing sovereign god of the universe you don't lose arguments they tried i don't remember reading where jesus ever lost one and from there they don't think well actually you know time and time again he has these amazing understanding this this amazing way we haven't been able to get him they don't even think well, maybe he is who, who he says he is. They're just like, ah, he got us. Oh, and then go, go off and into their huddle and try and come up with the next question, try and trap him. One of the fundamental postures of the culture we are in with those who do not believe is, I don't want to believe. Let me find reasons not to believe versus let me figure this out. Let me wrestle with this. Let me honestly engage with what is being presented before me verse 17 but to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of jesus but peter and john replied which is right in god's eyes to listen to you or to him you be the judges as for us we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Peter finally nails it. Hadn't he already failed this test? Hadn't he already denied Christ three times? And yet, in such a merciful act of grace, God gives him the chance to take the test again. And this time, he passes with flying colours. He doesn't deny. He doesn't waver at all. He nails it. You decide what's right to speak about, but I can't deny speaking about what I've seen and heard. And if we delve into this a bit deeper, you see these people that he was speaking to, they were the, the authorities of the day. It would be like me standing before a judge in a courtroom and answering this question. Like Imagine for a moment, I'm, I'm told by a judge you will no longer preach about, speak about or say anything about Jesus Christ. And if we responded like Peter, if I responded like Peter, we'd be saying something like, well, judge, that's what you work that out for yourself, but I'm going to keep talking about Jesus no matter what you say. You know, I reckon I think that's called contempt of court or something, isn't it? And it usually finds you with a little long stand in prison, usually, just, you know. But that's what Peter did. He nails it. He didn't deny. And I think that it's one of those great things that we see about Peter here is, is God's redemption at work. In the situation they find themselves in is being threatened by the established power of the day. Verse 21. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened, for the man who was miraculously healed, was over 40 years old. I just want to say that these people were lunatics. They were ludicrous and they were suffering from complete lunacy because there was so much evidence right before their eyes as to who Christ is being actually true and such a testimony, overwhelmingly so, and this was so true that all the people recognised this and so that they, they thought, well, if we punish them, 
then that would seem unjust to the crowd and would cause a rebellion. So they did nothing but threaten them and then kick them out. They had no power because the people knew the truth and they did too, yet acted in complete lunacy. This has always been the environment in which the church has existed. There are those who accept the pardon offered and then there are those who are offended by the pardon to the point that they seek to marginalize, mock, persecute, or destroy those who embrace or make much of the pardon offered. So in light of this, one thing you have to wrestle with, one thing, one of the, the pulls that you will feel is the desire to have people like you rather than sticking to your own convictions of being men and women rooted in the gospel. And being rooted in the gospel, it can sometimes risk some of the social relationships that we have, some of the places we're invited into and some of the ways that people interact with us. Have you ever been in a social setting where your devotion to the gospel causes an adverse response? It's quite interesting when I meet people around here and I say, you know, that we've just moved up and we're getting to know the place and everything, and they say, oh, yeah, what brought you up here? And I say, yeah, well, I'm the, the new pastor at the Baptist Church. I usually get one of about three responses. The first one is one of genuine, you know, joy at that. And, you know, oh, that's so great. You know, I'm so excited for you. I go to whatever church down over there, you know. So that's one response. The second response is, oh, Baptist Church, Baptist Church. That's the one on, is it on Sicily Avenue? That's the old Brax Social Club, isn't it? You know, that's the second response. Really good deflection, you know, really good deflection. The third one is, ah, and then social leprosy sets in, right? You know, I'm I'm written off as someone not even worthy speaking to. They're they're, they're usually the three responses. One is joy. One is deflect. Let's not actually have a conversation about this, but let me say something that I, I know roughly where you are. So this time can talk something that we have in common is the knowledge of the place, um, but that's a good deflection. And then there's just the complete just write me off. That's the environment in which we live. And if we're honest, we want people to like us. We don't want to be social lepers, right? And no one wants to be viewed as a moron, which some people think that Christians are, or even like a hyper-spiritual nutcase, which is portrayed often on TV. And there is a draw to being liked. It's natural. We want to be liked by the people. And there's nothing wrong with that unless it makes you sell out and not stand on the promises of God and his word, and instead has you trying to give Jesus a makeover, trying to make him more palatable to those who can't swallow him. See, the Bible speaks about this in Proverbs 29:25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man, the desire to please man, to be accepted by them, the desire for them to applaud us, to like us, it is a trap. It does not work. The desire to be wanted and accepted actually makes you a slave to their approval of you. And ultimately, it doesn't matter. To be terrified of a kitten and have no fear of a lion makes you a fool. If you see a kitten, oh, please don't kill me, kitten, yet you go up and slap a lion, I mean, talk, that, that is foolishness right there, isn't it? So when your neighbours, when your friends from the club, when their love and acceptance of you becomes more important than pleasing God, it reveals who your God really is. The natural desire to be liked by other people has actually then gone beyond the normal and has actually revealed 
who your God really is. And this one is heartbreaking. John 12, 42-43. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And so they believed in Jesus, but didn't want to make it publicly known because there might be some social consequence to that. There are often social consequences for our conviction. You know, all the more we are being painted as bigots and haters. We're being painted as intolerant. We're being painted as homophobic. We're being painted as outdated. And even most recently, we're being painted as not fit public office? Will the draw to soften what we believe, to privatise our faith so that we are liked and accepted, will that win over? How many times have you heard people say things along the line of, well, that's good for you, that you have your beliefs but keep them to yourself. They're not welcome to be shared. What we'll see in the beginning and what has always been true is that although there will be those who praise God for the offer of pardon and the grace of Jesus Christ, there will be those offended by it and we will feel the pull of wanting to at times disassociate ourselves from Jesus or his people in order to try and look cool or to fit in. You know, I thought of, sort of thought we grew out of this in high school, but unfortunately we don't. We all want to be the cool kids until the day we die, or be with the cool kids at least. You might call them different things. I call them cool kids. And this is such a sad way to live your life. We don't have to be accepted by those who are offended and reject the offer of pardon of grace of Jesus Christ. But how is the church then to operate in a culture that is increasingly hostile to what we believe and what we embrace. Let's have a look at how they respond in Acts. And so remember they've been threatened and released and now they're back with the other disciples, with the thousands of other disciples that they have there, over 10,000. They begin to pray. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now just a quick note, you know, a bit off topic but worth mentioning, is you notice that they got filled with the Holy Spirit again? Didn't they already get filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2? You know, what I think happening here and what I think it's referring to is not necessarily levels of spiritual power, but it's more so that the Spirit flows in and out in varying times and for different purposes at His choosing. And so the Spirit is always in us, that is always true, but sometimes His power flows through us in mightier ways at some times than others, right? That's what we see here, and I think you'd attest to the same being true in your life. And there are two things I want to point out from this passage. First is they prayed for boldness, and then they walked in it. So the default posture of churches that die and has been proven time and again, what ends up happening is when the claims of Christ and the word of God end up becoming offensive to the predominant culture, the idea is to soften the stance of the Bible in order to win people to Jesus. Because really, Jesus is what it's all about, isn't it? It's not really about this sexuality conversation. It's not really about this marriage conversation or this or that. It's really just about Jesus. So let's forget about all that. And more than that, let's twist and tinker to make it more palatable to the predominant culture. And let's just focus on Jesus. And every time what's discovered is that not only just those issues that are offensive, 
but it's actually Jesus himself. And what goes out the window next is the atoning work of Christ and that is simply replaced with doing good things to and for other people. Let's just help the poor and the needy and let's just do good things. They seem to focus just on the social justice issues and forget about the gospel issues. Now it is a good thing to do good things. Don't get me wrong, it's good to do good. But to neglect people's greatest need, to simply engage their felt needs, does nothing in the long term to change their hearts, their situation or the world around them. You see, what the gospel offers is a transformed life, a changed world view. Not just a change in situation, but a changed life. To back away from teachings from scripture around issues that our culture finds offensive is to wave the white flag. It is to say that our creator God does not know what is best for his creation. Creation knows what's best, not creator. And that is madness. But we're seeing this all over the place under the banner of Christ. People saying that that's not what the Bible's really saying. They said if Jesus came today, he would see how oppressive and cruel these commands are. They would change from the biblical picture of Jesus and create their own version of Jesus. Isn't that called idolatry? I used to, I had this message years ago called my pick and mix Jesus. You know, this is when like pick and mix chocolates were out, whatever, you know. And it was like we pick this bit of Jesus that we like, we pick this bit of Jesus that we like, and we create this picture of Jesus, but we leave all the ugly bits behind, you know. I don't really like Snickers, so I'll leave the Snickers out. I don't really like um, Bounty, so I'll leave the Bounty. I don't like Terry Ripe, so we'll leave that out, but I'll, we'll have the Boost, we'll have the Crunchy. You know, and so we pick and mix the bits of Jesus that we like when we form our own picture of Jesus and that is idolatry, plain and simple. And that's what so many people do with Jesus. They pick the bits of Jesus that they like, they just focus on them and they get rid of the rest. That's not Jesus. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's a construct. It's not healthy. Who's brave enough to say that we have desires that don't honour God and that would be unhealthy? I'd love to eat donuts and bacon for breakfast every day. Oh, I would love that. Especially if it's got maple syrup mixed in too. Oh, but that would not be healthy. I've got lustful thoughts. They are unhealthy. I have a problem of lack of self-control. That is not healthy. I don't have a problem with willpower. I've got a problem with won't power. I will eat this. I will eat that. You know, I'm into fitness. Fitness whole burger in my mouth. I'm in shape. Round is a shape. I'm into eating whole foods. That's the trend, isn't it? Whole foods. Whole pizza, whole bag of chips, whole bottle of Coke. Unhealthy desires. And I'm sure that everyone in this room has desires that we know are not healthy for us and our families and could destroy the love, the safety and the flourishing in our homes and could just destroy our lives if we gave in to them all the time. It would be madness to think that God would go, you really want that? Well, who am I? to say you shouldn't have it. And this is the argument of making Jesus more palatable to predominant culture. It's not only unhealthy, but it's idolatrous. And so we are to be bold yet gracious people. We are to say this is what the Bible teaches about marriage. This is what the Bible teaches about sexuality. Are they primary? No. Are they important? You bet your bottom dollar they are. But how we do this is really important. See, we are not cruel. We are not overbearing. Real people are affected 
by these real issues and these real struggles in life who feel like all we do is judge them or that we wouldn't understand the struggle that they're going through. But this must be and is a safe place. The offer of pardon is freely available for all by the grace of God. We are among friends. And so whenever we come across subjects that predominant culture really struggles with our stands, we must be gracious, but bold, but gracious, loving, but bold, but loving, kind, but bold, but kind. We can't just be... We can't come across as bigots and haters, but we'll always come across opposition. And so that is our challenge. Not only are we to pray for boldness and be bold, we are to be bold and gracious, long-suffering and loving, and to live counter-cultural lives. That's what Christianity is. It's counter to predominant culture. That's what we mean by countercultural lives. Acts 4.32, all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And so the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, are a people marked by generosity, with our money, with our time. Everyone who comes here should find hope, find grace, find people willing to walk with them for the long haul. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and great grace was upon them all. Not only are we a generous people, but we are also storytellers and testifiers and we will testify and tell you about what God has done, the amazing things in our lives. Our lips testify to the glory of God. We all have a story of how God has worked in our lives. You want to talk to me about parenting? I've got to talk to you about a story about how Jesus and how God is is graciously granting me patience because of myself and my own, I have none. (laughs) Kelly has been blessed with an abundance of patience. I mean, she used to work with grade ones and preps every single day. Man, patience abounds in that lady. I was not blessed with that stick. If you want to talk about parenting, I've got to talk to you about how God is graciously granting me moments to practice patience. If you want to talk to me about finances, well, I want to talk to you about how God graciously bestows his blessing of resources upon my life. And we look back time and time again. I can tell you about times where we've gone without employment for six months with a mortgage, with expenses, with study, with everything going on, and yet God has graciously provided all of our needs. Our lips testify to the glory of God. You want to talk to me about health? You know, just before I came here, I had an issue with an appendix. One Sunday night, I was a little bit uncomfortable in my stomach and thought nothing much of it. Monday, it got worse. Tuesday, it got really bad. Um, So I went into the hospital in Frankston, and I sat there until 1am not being seen because the nurse saw me thought I was constipated and so she basically put me to the very lowest at the bottom of the rung in a full um, emergency room so I just went home and went to the doctor the next day and he said well yeah we should probably get a CT scan so um, Wednesday I went to him got the CT scan on Thursday I wasn't going to but Kelly told me to I started feeling a bit better by then as you do um, Friday I was feeling fine you know I still went to work all week and everything and Friday I was feeling okay and then the doctor calls me and said I got the results of your, your test um, you need to go to hospital because you've got appendicitis. Oh, is, can I go to cricket first with the kids? You know, it's the last game of the season. And, you know, it's going to be no, 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 no. You need to go now. Like, come to me, get this letter, and go now. And so then the next day, I had my appendix appendix out, and I was pity it didn't weigh 15 kilos. But if you want to talk to me about my health, I want to talk to you about the grace of God in providing a wife who would nag me into going to the doctor and doing the right thing 
Because if this had have happened a hundred years ago, I wouldn't be here. You know, if, if it wasn't for Kelly, it might have burst and ruptured and I might not be here. You want to talk to me about health? I want to talk to you about the grace of God and providing good people around me. On Friday last week, another great testimony about if you we, we want to talk to me about housing, well, I want to talk to you about God's goodness and providing housing for us. We sold our house last two Fridays ago. It went unconditional. So we're now settled in at the start of... Um, July and we put an offer in another place which was accepted and so that we move in the 19th or thereabouts of of, uh, of July it, that all happens so you know we, we bought a house and you know you, you remember the list I was saying I'd love a nice big place or you know yeah it's five acres it's got a pool it's, it's bedrooms abounding for guests and visitors to stay it's going to be a great base of ministry for us here in Mangrata for many years to come so God is good you know praise the Lord it might not have been in my timing. I wanted this to happen two months ago, so we're going to move straight in there, right? But it's in his timing. God is good. The rest of the chapter 4 speaks of people selling property, land, giving it to people, the disciples to distribute, a full and glad submission to authority. Um, I mean, talk about countercultural. You know, how often do we fully and gladly submit to authority? Where the gospel is preached, there will always be opposition. And this is the world in which we operate in a hostile environment to God. But we must be bold and stick to our biblical convictions, not fall into the trap of the desire to be liked by man instead of being faithful to God. Jesus doesn't need a makeover. We must remain unmoved, rooted in the word of God. Trust that God knows more than me. Trust that God knows more than this day and age. And so we go out into our world faithful in the mission he has called us to. And I want to encourage us to be bold. Be gracious, be loving, but be bold. And today we want to be bold in our prayers, particularly for young Helen Lanham, uh, because today we want to ask God's protection, God's healing, God's wisdom for the medical practitioners who will be assisting Helen with her cancer treatment. And so if the elders and leaders would come forward, I'd like to pray for Helen. And, and you know, there was a, a passage earlier that I read for us that said, Acts 4 verse 30, said, Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And so today I want us to do that. Helen, would you come please? And elders and leaders will gather around. But can everyone else stretch out your hand? We actively participate in this prayer for Helen of, of your of God's guidance, of his, of his protection. So let's pray boldly for Helen today. Dear Lord, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, we come before you and boldly pray for your healing of Helen today. If that is by your supernatural power and activity prior to her meeting with the doctors, then may we praise you for that. But if that is through the doctors and through the medical practitioners and through the gifts and the knowledge that you have given them, then, Lord, we just praise you for that also. Lord, we pray that you would guide their hands, that you would guide the surgeons, that you would guide all who are involved, and that, Lord, you would bless Helen with a peace that, Lord, this is all under your control. This is all under your command. Lord, you do not bring bad things into our lives, but, Lord, you bring good things into our lives. And, Lord, I pray that the testimony of her lips following this will be one of praise and glory and worship of your greatness and that, Lord, you are a God who heals, that, Lord, you are a God who provides, that, Lord, you are a God that loves your children. And so may she feel your love. May she feel your grace. May she feel your mercy. May she be filled with your Holy Spirit to be a testifying 
person through the amazing grace of you. And Lord, may she be able to leave uh, the hospital and just with, with joy in her soul and joy in her spirit that, Lord, her lips testify to your greatness and your goodness. And, Lord, we pray for your healing, your blessing, your ongoing recovery. And that, Lord, I also pray for the whole family, for Russell as well, that, Lord, you would give them strength, you would give them your peace that passes all understanding. And that, Lord, we, we bring Helen before you now, place her into your care, your loving arms, your graceful arms, your healing arms. And, Lord, we pray with boldness in the name of Jesus Christ, that she would be healed. Amen.